a verbringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avton, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Avton, Associate Rabbi Linksfield Shul here on the Soul to Soul Network. Fabringen show Tuesdays from 1 to 2 in the afternoon. It's great to be with you live in the studio. Thank you, Craig. Always there, handy and an amazing uh, partner, Shkoyach Craig. So, where do we start? Big, big days ahead of us. Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer is an incredible holiday that I want to bring about today. It's only appropriate. But before I go there, I want to actually give a shout out to Chai FM, which is many things to many people. Chai FM is your source of latest news from the Middle East, your platform for learning. Chai FM is your companion and is your connection to a greater community. For 10 years, Chai FM has brought you award-winning radio, and now we are asking you to partner with us this Lagba Omer Thursday, the 23rd of May, that's 48 hours from now, for the Chai FM Feed Our Fire Radiothon, where you help us keep bringing you everything that keeps us a great radio station, call, pledge, challenge. Call center number is 010-140-4090. Chai FM, unprescribed, unscripted, uncensored. This is 101.9 Chai FM. As we always start, I want to start with some music, and the music is, so of course, we're still playing a cappella music, and this is Kol Zimra from Omdos Hayu, here on 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. Talking about enigmatic holidays, uh, holidays like Bomer. 24 hours from now, 28 hours, the evening... This interesting holiday starts, and it's probably, if you had to rate the, the holidays that are the most known in the local Jewish community, this definitely rates quite low. It, what is Lagba Omer? And yet, when you go to the Holy Land, when you go to Israel, you'll find that the single largest congregation of Jews that happens every single year, up to 600,000 Jews come together on this one day in a small, tiny mountain in the north of Israel called Miron. It's not, it's about 15 minutes away from Tzfat, from Seyfed. It's, I don't know, 45 minutes away from Tiberia, Tiberius. It's in the middle of nowhere. And yet, tomorrow night, that part of Israel is going to become the most congested part of Israel yearly. It's actually insane. Having been there a few times myself, the amount of buses and the amount of traffic and the amount of logistics that the local government, and actually the, 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 the federal government and the government of Israel has to put in place just to facilitate this 24 hours is mind-blowing. It's, and if you don't believe me, just go to YouTube and search Lagba Omer Emiron and uh, be amazed. Just see what goes on over there. It's an absolute mob scene in the best sense of the word. Hundreds of thousands of people coming over a 24-hour period starting tomorrow night at about 6, 7 p.m., maybe a little later, until the following evening, till Thursday night. And I'm sure many people will stay over there for the Shabbat as well, for the weekend. And they're all going to be congregating us around a small little building. 
And this building is known as the burial site of the great sage, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, Shimon the son of Yochai, who, to be fair, is not one of the more known characters in Jewish history. We, there is no such congregation around Abraham's grave. There's no such congregation around Moses' grave. But the truth is we don't know where Moses' grave is. Um, but there is no other Jewish individual in history that has made their yard site, their day of passing, into such an incredible day. There are other, you know, grave sites that people go to specifically in Israel and around the world on days that are connected with that individual, but nothing in Jewish history has come close to the Miron story. It's a mind-blowing day in the fact that thousands of years, 1,800 years after this individual passed away, Year by year, the number of people that come to the small little town in the north to celebrate, to dance, to light bonfires and just feel the unity around them is incredible. Two years ago, I had the incredible opportunity of taking, uh, going along with a few members of my community to Miron. I think it was two or three years ago. We had this most amazing, amazing time over there taking in the incredible inspiration that happens when just hundreds of thousands of people come together. So what what I want to do today is explore this element of Lag Barma. There's other elements as well. There's the fact that the 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva stopped dying. Interesting anecdote is Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the same individual we're talking about, was one of the students who survived. There was five students who survived the plague and rebuilt the Torah world. And Rabbi Shimon who eventually passed away on this very same day, was one of those five students. But for today, I just want to leave that element of the holiday aside and focus on this Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai individual and the impact he's made on the Jewish world and why his request that he made just before his passing, please turn my day of passing into Yom HaYilulah, a day of celebration has been so successful across the board, across Jewish communities. You, the spectrum of individuals who come, men, women, and children from every group and every part of society in Israel who come to Lagba Omer in Miron, and, or even those who don't make it up there but who light bonfires in their towns and who make celebrations and go out to the fields, and the amount of Jews that come and celebrate this one individual's lifetime begs dip deeper questioning. Who was he? What was he? And why on this Thursday will many Jews, including in this country, be celebrating? Wednesday night, tomorrow night is the Shmuza, a yearly massive event of thousands of people coming together near the Great Park Shul. Various other communities are going to have their bonfires and their brides. And on Thursday, many people are going to go out to the field and they're going to go and, you know, just spend time in nature. When we when we pray, we're not going to say tachanun. We're going to treat this day as a mini holiday. For what? Why? How? When? So, we'd love to hear your thoughts on Lagba Omer. We'd love to hear what you know about this day. You can always WhatsApp us on 061-895-1019. SMS us at 34519. This is 101.9 High FM here on Soul to Soul.
This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Afton on 101.9 High FM. 101.9 High FM, this is Rabbi Levi Afton, and today we are exploring the life and the passing of one of the big heroes of Lagba Omer and the man who, till today, 1800 years after his passing, his death and his life are still commemorated every year in huge numbers in Miron, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And what I'm going to do over the next 35 minutes is I want to share with you various anecdotes about his life and hopefully some take-home messages that you could take from this individual. Because, you know, usually when you try to create a profile of somebody and you try to share their life, interesting, I'm currently reading a biography, and you kind of pick and choose the various details of the life that that stick out to the author. And then obviously as a reader, you're, you're resonating with various things that come across on the page. And, you know, having prepared for the show and just looking up various statements that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai said, some of them just call out to me. And in no way is this the, am I giving the ultimate, you know, or even partial profile of who Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is. But I think you get a taste of his unbelievable character by analyzing some of the things he says. I mean, the Talmud is full of Rabbi Shimon, and pretty much it's Rabbi Shimon by Yochai whenever it says Rabbi Shimon. And he's one of the most quoted um, individuals in the Mishnah and the Talmud. He had students who made a huge difference and quoted his words. So he's one of those sages that left a huge impression on Jewish thought and on the foundation of uh, Torah Shabal Peh on the oral law. And here's one statement he said, but I want to give you some context to the statement. A few months ago in the Parsha, in the book of Genesis, we read the story of Yehuda and Tamar. The story goes that um, Yehuda, um, one of the 12 tribes, lost his wife, and unfortunately he lost two of his children after they married a certain woman, Tamar, and he sent her away after the first two children passed away, and he kind of implied that she will marry the third child, Shayla, but he never called for her, and eventually she had this deep intuition that she wants to have a child from that family, so at some stage she she finds out that Yehuda is coming to a certain area, and she makes herself attractive, and Yehuda approaches her, and without knowing, a few months later she's pregnant, She's she's publicly pregnant, and it's obviously Yehuda's child, but Judah doesn't know it. And what he finds out is that his daughter-in-law, who technically, according to the law of the time, according to the halachic law of the time of Yibum, was still unallowed to be with any other man other than the family, was pregnant, which meant that she that this was an unkosher child. It was an inappropriate relationship. So the Torah says that they come to Yehuda and they tell her, your daughter-in-law has been unfaithful. And Yehuda says, we're going to burn her. Take her out and she will burn. And the commentaries explain the the death penalty because she was the daughter of a Kohen, the daughter of shame. So therefore the death penalty was burning. A very, an incredible, tragic death. And here she has a choice. She can publicly announce that the father of these children is actually the same person who just condemned me to death. Or she can go to her death. So she chooses a third option. 
And pretty much when Yehuda was with her, he gave her certain um, things like a stick and a signet ring as a sign, as a commitment, as a guarantee that he will eventually pay her the debt that he promised her. And he never got that back, so she had it with him. So what she did was she took these possessions of Yehuda and sent a messenger to him. And all she said was that to the person who who owns this, the person who owns this is the father of my child. Now, Yehuda's in a conundrum. Nobody other than him and her know that these possessions are his. And he has the incredible humility to actually get up and say, Tzatkamimani, she's more right than I am, and I am the father of this child. And we're told because Yehuda had the humility of admitting his fault and saving the life of Tamar and the, and the, eventually the, the twins that she was carrying, he got tremendous reward and was one of the main reasons why he became the father of kings. But interesting, Tamar, the woman, who she chose a third option, but was a very risky option because most people who wouldn't be as great as Yehuda would never acknowledge and say, hey, that signet ring is mine, that stuff is mine. They would just avoid and they would go on with the death penalty. And she could have publicly announced that Yehuda is the father of my child. Instead, she took a very risky move that had a bigger chance of her not being successful and being thrown into a fire over publicly shaming him. Comes Rabbi Shimon, and that's where we came onto this topic. Comes Rabbi Shimon by Yochai, the great sage, and says, It is more pleasant, it's more correct for a person to throw themselves into a fire rather than embarrassing somebody in public. And do not whiten the face, in other words, do not cause paleness out of shame to another person in public. That Rabbi Shimon looked at the story and he told us a tremendous lesson, which seems obvious once he said it, but the the unbelievable love of a fellow human being that comes out in the statement where Rabbi Shimon tells us, rather jump into a fire than to embarrass somebody else. He's not saying jump into a fire rather than kill somebody else. Just to shame somebody else is the greatest offense we could do to another human being and rather lose your life than cause shame to another person. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the love of a fellow human being that comes through in the statement? Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai used to say that to cheat somebody with words is even worse than to cheat them out of money. In other words, to fool them, to play games with them, to, to hurt them is worse than cheating on money. He also said another statement. One who enters the house suddenly, and especially one who enters somebody else's house without knocking, is disliked by God. And you'd think such a statement, come on, really? I mean, that's like for pop psychology or, you know, some good marriage tips. What's Rabbi Shimma Yechai coming into the Talmud and telling us this? Yes, Rabbi Shimma Yechai comes and tells us, even in your own home, you don't want to cause shock. So knock when you walk in. Knock. And just allow people to know that you're coming so that they don't get shocked. They don't get startled. Here was an individual who was an incredibly pious man. He was the author of the Zohar. 
the foundational book of Jewish mysticism. At the same time, he was the author of Sifri, which is one of the foundation books of Jewish medrash, of Jewish, uh, you know, history and, and study and learning, and other books as well. And a monumental figure in Jewish history, and I will, will explore his story in more detail in just a moment. And yet, this individual appreciates that when you walk into the house, knock first. This individual appreciates that after writing the entire Zohar, which is the unbelievable book of Jewish mysticism, pretty much all of Jewish mysticism is based on that original book. This individual could come and say, rather throw yourself into a fire than embarrass another person. In other words, his piety and his greatness and his knowledge in no way did it diminish his humanity. On the contrary, it made him such a sensitive and loving human being. And there, this, it's for one of the, it's for this reason and many others that many people will come to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai's grave on his yard side on his de- anniversary of death tomorrow night, and they'll pray and they'll say, Rabbi Shimon, Elakadu Rabbi Shimon Aneni, the God of Rabbi Shimon, please answer me. And they'll say statements like it says, Kedai Rabbi Shimon Lismochalav B'Shasatchak. Rabbi Shimon is a person who's worthy to rely on when things are difficult. The context of that statement is a bit different in the Talmud, but it's been used by many sages throughout history to say Rabbi Shimon is worthy of relying on when things are difficult to reach out to him and ask him to help. And there are many miraculous stories of people who went to his grave and had incredible miracles happen to them. A person who was, the head was in heaven, but their feet were extremely grounded. And I want to illustrate that by one of the most famous and profound stories of his life. And again, for this story, I need to give you context. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai lived in the time after the destruction of the Second Temple. The Second Temple in Jerusalem and the Second Jewish Commonwealth was destroyed by the Roman Kingdom. Now, Although the Romans destroyed the temple, the Jewish relationship with the Romans for a long time was very complex. In other words, you'd think that after the temple was destroyed, it would be over, but no. There was the huge rebellion of Betar, which caused an incredible amount of uh, death and tragedy when it was over to the Jewish people. That was led by a famous Jewish leader named Bar Kochva. And at, at, that was at the time of Rabbi Akiva, who was the teacher of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the generation following. He's a student of Rabbi Akiva, so he's not long after the destruction of the Second Temple. And Rome is still very dominant in the Holy Land. Rome is, has an incredible hold on what goes on. And one of the things they did is not allow Torah learning. And it was Rabbi Shimon Mayachai and other great sages at the time who fought to keep Torah alive and were told that at some stage one of the great sages, Bava Ben Buta, gave smicha. He gave, sorry, I think it was Rabbi Yehuda Bar Bava, Rabbi Yehuda the son of Bava. He gave smicha. He, he ordained, which was something illegal at the time, five sages to continue the Jewish tradition, including one of them was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is living in a time that is very, very difficult to be a Jew. 
At that time, a new um, Roman emperor goes on, Marcus Aurelius, and there are different feelings that maybe you know things are going to calm down and the relationship between Rome and the Jewish community are going to take a bit easier. They're going to you know calm down. And the story goes that three sages are sitting together and they're talking about how to deal with the current government. Rabbi Yehuda was extremely generous. Rabbi Yossi was stayed quiet. He didn't say anything. And Rabbi Shimon, who had witnessed his own teacher, Rabbi Akiva, brutally murdered by the Romans in a, a, a terrible death, as we read on Yom Kippur in the service, about his terrible, terrible death. Rabbi Yehud and Rabbi Shimon, who saw how much pain the Romans caused for Jewish study, etc., he actually spoke quite derogatory about the Romans. And there was another individual who overheard that conversation. His name was Yehuda ben Gerim. And Yehuda ben Gerim goes to the Romans and somehow he manages, he tells them what happened at this event. And they decide to give a consequence to each of the three. Rabbi Yehuda, who complimented the Romans, got a tremendous reward. Rabbi Yossi, who stayed quiet, was exiled to the northern city of Tsipori. And Rabbi Shimon was condemned to death. That's the context of the story. So Rabbi Shimon, obviously, to spare his life, goes into hiding. The first place he hides is the local shul, the local synagogue in the attic. He's sitting there and learning together with his devoted son, Rabbi Elazar. Elazar ben Shimon. Elazar, the son of Shimon. There they study together, and Rabbi Shimon's wife brings them food, brings them bread. The problem is that the chase against them becomes greater and greater, and eventually Rabbi, Rabbi Akiva, sorry, Rabbi Shimon and his son decide they have to escape, and they don't even tell their mother and wife where they're going so that she can never be tortured and, to, and she should never have to, you know, heaven forbid, spill, um, you know, and be hurt because they'll suspect her of knowing where he was because she really didn't know where they would be. Fine. So they go and hide in a cave somewhere in the Holy Land. And it's a filthy cave full of dust. They only have the clothing on their back. They have no food and water. And the story goes, a miracle happens, that the carob tree grows outside this cave and a water, a flow of water, a small little river, starts flowing and now they could pretty much eat caribs and drink water. And that's why many people have a custom on the day of Lagba Omer to eat caribs. I'd imagine the custom is also to drink water, but I don't think you need a custom for that. So... There they are locked in the cave. For how long did they stay in the cave? Twelve years. Twelve years locked alone, two individuals with the clothes on the back and the caribs that they ate and the water that they drank. Twelve years. What happens next? Just give us a moment, we'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avton on 101.9 High FM. So we're in the middle of a story. <laughs> and here we are. We're talking about Rabbi Shimon and his son, Rabbi Elazar, locked in a cave for 12 years. It's a long time. We're told that they would sit in pretty much undressed, in the covered in mud up to their neck, and study Torah all day. When it came time to pray, they would come, just put on their single pair of clothing, pray, and then, again, just that the clothing shouldn't get ruined, sat in the mud. Twelve years. 
and they had no idea about what was going on outside the geopolitical situation, what's going on with the Romans, are they still being chased, they had no idea. And eventually, after 12 years, the story goes in the Talmud that a voice, Elijah the prophet, a voice comes on top of their cave and says, who will tell Rabbi Elazar, Rabbi Shimon, these great people that the Roman emperor is dead and that they can now leave and go back into safety? Well, these two individuals, extremely pious, I mean, spending 12 years alone studying all day, made, made these individuals who were already holy on a whole different level. They come out. And the Talmud tells us they have a, they, they struggle to adjust to the climate of the universe. They've pretty much been living on Mars for all you care for 12 years. They've been living a totally different lifestyle. They haven't, you know, worked. They haven't um, lived a physical existence. I mean, what does eating carobs and drinking water and sitting in mud have to do with physicality? Not much. So they go out and they actually see people living their lives, you know, working in agriculture, harvesting, doing life. And they're very critical. They can't hold themselves back from being very critical of these people who are wasting you know, the eternal life and spending their time doing something so petty. And in their criticism, we're told that their criticism caused that a bunch of these fields that they were looking at went up in smoke. And at some stage, a voice comes out of heaven and says, do you think I took you out of the cave to burn my world up? Go back to the cave. And this time they go back to the cave and there's a whole different perspective. This time... Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar realized that if they want to come out of the cave, they have to not come out with an attitude of maybe, you know, condescending or misunderstanding the other individuals, but rather a, a, a perspective of empathy. And 12 months later, after doing the inner work, we're told another, the voice comes again and says, you may go out of the cave. And this time they come out and their perspective has totally changed. In one year, they've managed to take all that piety and passion that they developed over the 12 years and ground it and make it real. And this time, a whole different story unfolds. They see an individual running with two sets of flowers. And they ask him, why are you coming with two sets of flowers? It happened to be Friday afternoon. And he says, it's for Shabbos. Now, the, those individuals, Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar, 12 months ago, in the state that they were at, chances are they would see buying flowers as Shabbos is so petty. I mean, shouldn't you be spending Shabbos learning and praying? Who has time to sit there cutting pretty flowers? I mean, how petty. And yet this time they have a whole different perspective. And they look at him and they say, why two? Isn't one enough? And he says, because there's two statements regarding Shabbat in the Ten Commandments. Zachor, remember, and shamor, and keep. And in honor of these two words, Achor and Shamor, to keep and remember the Shabbos day, I have two bouquets of flowers. And this time Rabbi Shimon breaks out in a huge smile and praises the individual and turns to his son and says, look how beautiful the nation is that they can, they don't only honor Shabbos, but they go the extra mile to honor with two bouquets of flowers. These same people who a year ago were burning up fields due to their distance their incredible distance from physicality, their inability of integrating, reintegrating into society. Twelve months later, they have an appreciation and they begin to, they see the person, for what the person really is, a physical human being in a physical world, 
doing something beautiful for God. And the story goes further. We're told that at that time the city of Tiberias was a bit of a, a hodgepodge of a city and it was very hard to um, know which parts of the city were built on top of a cemetery and which parts weren't. And because of that, Kohanim that lived in the area, priests who are not allowed to go into a cemetery, were not allowed to live in various areas of the city because there was no clarity where are their you know, corpses and where aren't there. And there they go, Rabbi Shimon and, and his son, and they start investigating, and they spend a, a, a huge amount of time, right after they come out of the cave, figuring out where exactly in Tiberias the, bo- the bones are, so that everywhere else the Kohanim could live. And come the sages and say, after 12, 13 years in a cave, after reaching the greatest levels of piety, after being people who who became the eventual founders, or some of the founders of Torah Shabbat Peh, of the oral law, is that really what you care about? Whether Kohanim could walk into a certain part of Tiberias or not? I mean, they had the whole land of Israel. So what? They can't walk a few streets. So what? They can't take any shortcuts. But the sages come and teach us that what Rabbi Shimon and Rabbi Lazar understood after being in a cave for 13 years and after their whole journey, what they came to appreciate is that the greatest holiness in the world is making another person's life a little easier. Is seeing the good in somebody else. Is making, allowing somebody a new place to live. Making sure never to embarrass an individual as we spoke of earlier. The greatness of Rabbi Shimon is not that he wrote a Zohar, but that in the Zohar, in the incredible mysticism that he explored and he taught the world, this brought out within him and within the teachings he taught a greater love for a fellow human being. It wasn't abstract knowledge. It wasn't abstract Torah. It wasn't mysticism that pretty much made you know people floating above earth. Very often the... I guess the misconception about mysticism, Kabbalah, is that it can create people that are flying, you know, in the heavens, metaphorically speaking. They're kind of hovering. And very often you do meet certain characters who are, you know, not exactly grounded, who very much resonate with these mystical teachings. Because there is an element of it that is a bit abstract, and somebody who's grounded will struggle maybe to to comprehend it. But at the same time, if the grounded person really engrosses themselves in this study, what happens is that this study doesn't make them aloof. On the contrary... It makes them more grounded, more loving of their fellow human being, better people, because it gives such meaning and depth to their life. And the truth is that Jewish mysticism, specifically the way it's taught through the Arizal and then through the Baal Shem Tov, etc., focuses on the fact that we live in a physical world, and that the goal is to create a hybrid, to create a fusion between incredible spirituality and depth, and meaning, and at the same time, grounded, and helping people in a very physical way. Giving somebody food to eat. Helping somebody make a living. Making sure not to embarrass another individual. Those are the, 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 that's the gamut of the teachings that Rabbi Shimon left this world, and it's for this reason that Rabbi Shimon has resonated with people throughout time, because here was a man who contributed to Jewish scholarship at the top ranks of of the sages of all time, and at the same time never got lost in learning, 
didn't get lost in the abstractness, didn't get lost in the pure joy and ecstasy of, of intellectual knowledge and stimulation. He appreciated it. He was a great sage, but he made sure to ground it. And he asked himself a simple question. How can I help another person? How can I make the, la- the load lighter for an individual next to me? That's what Lagba Omer is. Lagba Omer is the reminder that you can be incredibly spiritual, and we should be spiritual. That's why bonfires are lit on the state to commemorate the incredible neshama, the spirituality of Rabbi Shem Rabbi Yochai. And at the same time, or more than that, not only the same time and not despite, but because of it, that makes you more in tune to your fellow human being, a better spouse, a better parent, a better sibling, a better friend, a better leader, a better employee, a better person. It makes you more sensitive. When you appreciate the incredible spirituality of this world, and at the same time, you appreciate that God made us physical people for a reason, to take these abstract teachings and ground them into human-to-human interactions and interrelationships, that's when we we find the beauty of the hybrid of the teachings of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. This is 101.9 Chai FM here on Soul to Soul. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. So as we are just over 24 hours away from Lag Omer, and the word Lag, which literally means 33 because it's the 33rd night of the Omer, if you switch around those letters, Lamed and Gimel, you come to the word Gal. Gal can translate as revelation, Gilui, Hitgalut. Revelation, that this is really the day that reveals, it was a day of revelation. Rabbi Shimon taught incredible teachings just before his passing. The Zohar and all his teachings in the Talmud were incredible revelation. And at the same time, as we've been speaking for the last hour, the incredible hybrid that Rabbi Shimon created between piety and love, between the human-to-God relationship and the human-to-human relationship. Because often we find that as people, very often we're stronger in one of those two. I mean, I'm talking about it within people that consider themselves people of faith and religion, some of us gravitate more to the mitzvahs, to the to the laws of God to God to us. Mitzvahs like Shabbos and kosher and tefillin and davening and all those other mitzvot, which are more man to you know to the Creator. And there's other people who will say, you know what, I'm not so religious in that area, but I'm more human to human. I care about forgiveness and I care about kindness, etc. And ultimately, all of us try to create a hybrid. But Rabbi Shimon was a paragon of that hybrid. He really taught us how a person can be so spiritual and so pious and so knowledgeable and so above and spend 12 years in a cave, 13 years in a cave, and yet come out with an incredible appreciation for the minutia of human life, an incredible appreciation how helping somebody in the smallest, making their life a little more convenient is true spirituality. And each and every one of us, in whichever area we are a bit weaker, whether you know we struggle more in our human-to-God relationship or our human-to-human relationship, let's remember that Judaism is truly a fusion of the two. And now we are in the time of the Omer, which we obviously commemorate the 24,000 students, as we mentioned earlier, who passed away because they couldn't respect one another. And those were incredible students. And again, it's the same thing, reminding us that there has to be incredible piety and incredible Torah scholarship and knowledge, but at the same time, or because of that more, 
a, a wonderful relationship between people. When religion makes us judgmental, it's not religion. When religious make us, when religion makes us self-righteous, that's not the religion. When religion makes us look at other people who we consider less than us, and we, we give them a condescending attitude when we look at them and we just despise them and see them as unworthy of our respect, then we're not religious at all. We're just corrupting religion. We're just taking beautiful concepts of religion and, and misusing them. Rabbi Shimon reminds us that a true person, a true pious person is somebody that as they grow in their own piety, in tandem with that, they grow with their love and their non-judgmentalism. They grow in their kindness. They grow in their seeing the worth of each person, not judging people by their actions, but rather judging them by who they are and truly loving each and every person. Rabbi Shimon was a great lover of Israel, a great lover of the Holy Land. He had beautiful statements. He used to say that great is the love that God has for Israel. And God, for God entered the land of absolute impurity of Egypt and schlepped them out by his own hand just to bring them closer to him. He had other wonderful, wonderful statements about the love that God has to each and every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we do, that God always gives us a second chance and God loves us. And if there's one lesson we could take from Rabbi Shimon is let us grow in our own piety. And as we grow in our own piety, let us grow in our love for one another and to create a society that he gets to see once a year, Rabbi Shimon gets to see in his mountain, now five, six hundred thousand people are dancing together in unity. And it's that incredible legacy that can filter into every part of Jewish life, into every day of the year, into every community. May it be now in our time, wishing you a mini chak sameach for tomorrow night, and may we all celebrate this wonderful holiday in joy, in music, in celebration, wishing you a great week.